reverse diabetes and stop taking your diabetes medication. If you or someone you care about has diabetes or prediabetes, there's a special free video you need to watch. You may have heard about this. It's all over the Internet. Diabetic99.com People who have followed this plan at Diabetic99.com have not only normalized their blood sugar but have stopped taking their diabetes meds completely with their doctor's approval. Diabetic99.com is a natural, drug-free approach to reversing diabetes with remarkable results in as little as four weeks. Diabetic99.com will save you from being a slave to doctor-prescribed drugs. It's easy. Diabetic99.com gives you three specific actions to get your blood sugar under control. And the best part is the main ingredient and solution is a common spice found in most kitchens. Watch the free video for yourself at Diabetic99.com. Watch for free at Diabetic99.com. Get back the quality of your life and free yourself from diabetes medication. Go to Diabetic99.com. Boston conservative in the cradle of liberty. You'll want to listen when Chuck Moore speaks on the Information Radio Network. Thank you very much, and it is I, Chuck Morse. Chuck Moore speaks Monday through Friday, 10 till noon, Eastern Standard Time, here at the USA Radio Networks. You're welcome to join the program, 844-439-1391. 844-439-1391. We're joined by historian Adrian Goldsworthy. This segment, he's the author of numerous books, including Roman Warfare, The Punic Wars, The Fall of Carthage, Canai, and In the Name of Rome. He's a visiting fellow at the University of Newcastle and can be seen presenting TV documentaries and giving lectures. Adrian lives in South Wales. Adrian, thanks for joining me this afternoon. Thank you for inviting me. You're the author of Augustus, the uh, first emperor of Rome. And in this book, you, uh, you talk about, obviously, the reign of Augustus Octavian, um, who was the adopted son and nephew of Julius Caesar, and who became the first Roman emperor. He was emperor, I believe, for 30 years. Um, really, uh, many historians have said that his 40 years. Thank you, sir. His, uh, th- many historians have said that his... His reign was the pinnacle of Roman power. I, I think that uh, other great emperors would include Trajan and Hadrian but, and uh, Marcus Aurelius. But uh, you draw um, lessons from the emperorship of Augustus and apply them to politics today. Um, my, my, you know, b- before we get into it, in a sense... My conventional thinking on the topic, and I'm not a I'm not a Latin scholar, I'm not a Romanist, but uh, when I look at at what Augustus did, I'm concerned that particularly the United States is entering into an Augustinian age. In that Augustus, at least his reign, essentially marked the end of the Roman Republic and the birth of the Roman Empire. That's the thing. I mean, the whole career of Augustus, this is a man who fights his way to power through civil war. All his great victories early on are against other Romans, other citizens. And it's really only because of the chaos of decades, more than two generations, really, of civil war, political violence, coups, 
problems in Italy and throughout Rome, those create the situation where an Augustus can arise. And if you go back to think when the, um, when the founding fathers were sitting down and trying to create the constitution of the new nation of the United States, they wanted a Roman Republic that wouldn't turn into the regime of Augustus, that wouldn't become uh, ruled right. by emperors. Um, so, yes, Augustus has some, some quite um, grim lessons to learn. It shows you how, in the end, if the state collapses, if it's so badly run, and so inert at its heart that it doesn't deal with problems and it's the, the leaders just spend their time fighting each other, then eventually people will accept peace and stability at almost any price, and that's what Augustus gave them. So he kind of pulls in on a, on a white horse and saves the day, but in return he basically turned himself into a god-king. And uh, while Rome had a tradition of an occasional dictator, in fact the word dictator is a Latin word, where someone would come in during a time of great crisis and emergency, like Cincinnatus, who was admired by the Founding Fathers, and in fact Washington was a member of the Cincinnatus Club Society, that he would come in as a citizen farmer, he would be a dictator for a period of, I don't know, six months, maybe a year, uh, straighten things out, and then go back to the farm. Uh, Augustus, rather than uh, than conducting the traditional Roman role of a dictator, he became emperor for life. He, uh, de he, he basically arranged for himself to be deified so that the people of Rome would worship him as a god. Well, that's not really the case. That happens later under emperors like Caligula okay. and Nero. Um, Augustus is deified after he dies. So he doesn't actually do it himself. Um, but there is something interesting. I mean, he called himself Princeps, first citizen, and he presented himself as a servant of the state. And really, the only thing that limited his use of power was his own decision. Um, nobody else could stop him. He controls the army. He can do pretty much what he likes. And people are so grateful for peace, they don't want to go back to civil war. They don't want to go back to those chaos. Because you have to remember that the Roman civil wars weren't about ideology at all. There were no real differences between the sides involved. It was purely about power. The Republic had become dominated by this aristocratic elite that became so concerned with its own ambition, so concerned with making sure nobody else got the credit for solving a problem, that they'd rather let the problem go on, that people simply wanted stability. They wanted to get on with their own lives. They didn't want the state plunging into chaos all the time. They didn't want it interfering in their lives. They just wanted the rule of law restored. And the one thing Augustus does do is return Rome and the wider empire to a system whereby disputes are resolved in the courts and not in battle. And he is someone, all of his powers are framed legally. Everything he does is done by the Roman standard legally. He doesn't issue laws himself. They have to be voted on in the traditional way by the Senate, by the people. Now, obviously, nobody's going to vote against the man who controls an army of 300,000-plus men um, and has killed his way to power. But he does restrain himself. His use of power, the later emperors are a lot worse than he is. And that's perhaps the great danger of someone like Augustus, that you can be grateful to a man who comes and cleans up a mess and solves real problems. But he creates a system whereby one person has all this power, and the only restraint on that person is their own sense of what's right, what's proper. Um, there is no, you can't take the emperor to court, you can't impeach the emperor, you can't get rid of him. So when later emperors abuse that power, the system 
becomes far, far less attractive. Okay, my guest is Dr. Adrian Goldsworthy. The book is Augustus. Um, Adrian, the uh, another common historical germade with regard to Augustus has been that um, it was at that point necessary for Rome, and this is something that parallels today's politics, it was necessary for Rome to have a highly centralized, singular, unicameral government with one figure exalted overall because it had reached such a, a stage of growth that the Roman Empire had really ruled at that point much of the uh, the Western world. I mean, they, they had uh, turned uh, the Mediterranean into a lake. You know, they had, they had moved into Germany. They were, you know, North Africa, the Middle East, that it was too too large and too unwieldy and too complex to continue as a republic. And some of those same justifications I hear today in American politics as government takes over various areas of our life, whether it be health care, education, welfare policy, um, policing on a national level, because, you know, under the guise of, uh, of, de- of defending from terror, that, that the situations become so complex and so large that we have to centralize the government. We, we no longer one of the one of the restra- one of the things I often hear from people on the left side of the political spectrum to justify this authoritarian move is that we are no longer an agrarian society. We're no longer simply a nation of small shop owners. We're now dealing in a bigger world. And I think that many apologists for the empire in Rome make those same charges with regard to Rome, that this was an inevitable move. It had to be done this way. Otherwise, it would have been ungovernable. I, I mean, it's, as you say, people often claim this. But in, in a sense, you could have just said if the, the senatorial aristocracy had been doing their job properly in the first place, then none of this would have become necessary. Their disputes, their civil wars were purely about power. They didn't need to keep killing each other. There weren't great differences of political opinion or ideology between them. It was purely about power, and they'd discredited themselves. Um, But one of the interesting things about Augustus is that although it becomes much easier if you're in the provinces and you've got a problem, you go to Augustus. And if he gives you a decision, you know that decision will hold. It will be legally binding for generations to come. Whereas before you had to travel to Rome, send an embassy, and then try and find a senator who'd raise your issue in the Senate, and maybe eventually they'd make a decision, but it might get changed by the next governor who arrived. So for people in the wider empire, things are better off. But the striking thing about Augustus is that whilst he will give those rulings, after that he expects the population throughout the provinces and indeed in Italy, and even in Rome itself, to govern its day-to-day affairs on their own. Actually, a lot of power is devolved to the provinces, to communities there, to local magistrates, locally elected individuals. And you have to remember that the bureaucracy that Augustus has never numbers more than about a 1,000 people to control this vast empire. He doesn't have this great central civil service bureaucratic machine. So he can't, even if he'd wanted to control what was going on, he couldn't have done it. But instead, the, the Roman system and the Augustan system is to encourage other areas, each locality, to to deal with its own issues, deal with its own problems, even collecting the tax that will then go to central government. It's mostly under the control of local magistrates and locals 
rather than any bureaucrat or any soldier or administrator sent from Rome. So it's a strange mixture with Augustus, but there is that sense that this worked a lot better than when in the later Roman Empire, by the third century, when the empire is starting to decline very badly, they then try to control everything from the center, and it doesn't work anywhere near as well as the system had under Augustus when he'd actually let people deal with their own affairs. The, uh, in a sense, I suppose you could say that um, Augustus parallels the creation of the American Constitution and that the, the government that had been there previous, the Articles of Confederation, sought to have a, a stronger executive. They did seek to have more specific powers enumerated into a Congress. Uh, you know, they, they wanted to establish a, a separate court. And, uh, you know, I mean, Augustus on, on in an ancient times uh, set the stage for that, I suppose. Although, as you point out, the, the, the stage was set for the problems later when um, the government continued on this spiral of centralization and the balance of powers was um, was you know lopsided in favor of a of a an all increasing central figure who would be worshipped. Um, so I guess that you know there's just an interesting balance there, but um, there are certainly lessons to be learned there. I think it's interesting that uh, that the Romans did have this um, concept of subsidiarity somewhat in place, and it was a concept that would be later furthered by the Roman Church. And um, and that you know if you take a look at Augustus's time, and I don't know what what was going on much in the rest of the empire, but I know that in Judea, the um, the state was fairly sovereign under the rule of Herod, who was a king, but he was also a client of Augustus. So he was given enormous you know leeway within the context. I think that the Romans really just wanted to collect taxes and they, they just wanted to have an ally there that would be peaceful. Would that be accurate? That's the thing. As far as possible, they try to get local leaders like Herod. You know, when you think of Cleopatra in Egypt, although she ends up committing suicide because she's backed Mark Antony and lost the war against Augustus, um, she's always been loyal to the Romans. She never, ever fought them. So their, their policy, wherever possible, is find these local dynasties, local kings and queens, and use them to control the, the areas, the provinces, because they think they'll be better at it. Okay, we'll be right back. My guest is Adrian Goldsworthy. He's the author of Augustus, available at major bookstores and on Amazon. We'll be right back. You're sick, you feel awful, and now you're thinking about dragging yourself to see a doctor. You're in the waiting room filled with people who look sicker than you, or worse, waiting endlessly in the emergency room. That's the way the system works, right? Wrong. Now there's a better way. Imagine having a doctor on call 24-7 that can help find out what's going on, and even call in a prescription to your local pharmacy right over the phone, all at a fraction of the cost. I'm talking no deductibles, no extra costs, no appointments, and no germ-filled waiting rooms. Just top-notch medical doctors 24-7. Call now to be accepted 100% guaranteed. But you must call now to register for free and get your health pass absolutely risk-free for 14 days. Just call 800-375-0299. It's easy and affordable and registration is free. Call now to get 24-7 coverage starting today. But hurry, free registration will not last forever. Call 800-375-0299. That's 800-375-0299. 800-375-0299. 
While Bill Clinton, George Bush, and Barack Obama have been in Washington trying to legislate an economy, I've been all over America working to improve the economy one family at a time with the three-step plan home business system. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby. Thousands of enterprising Americans have changed their own financial futures by starting a business from their kitchen table. Most began part-time using their personal computers, telephones, and a belief in the American dream to carve out a stable business in a stormy business climate. They are housewives, truck drivers, downsized executives, health professionals, and even a lawyer or two. You could earn extra money or even replace your job. Technology advances have made this simpler and more efficient. So don't wait another 10 years. Check out the three-step plan. Go to 3stepusa.com. That's 3stepusa.com or call 800-480-2102. 800-480-2102. Did you know that by losing just 10 pounds, you could reduce your risk of heart disease, diabetes, and arthritis by a whopping 50%? Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby from ilikehowilook.com. I have found something that could help you lose 10 to 15 pounds in the next 30 days without starving yourself or exercising to exhaustion. Just go to ilikehowilook.com and watch the short video. ilikehowilook.com uses hydrolyzed collagen protein to help you lose weight and tone up. They also have a thermogenic capsule that could curb your appetite, improve your mood, give you more energy, and the best part is that it burns fat like a blowtorch. I introduced this to some of my friends a few months ago. Within just a couple of weeks, most were losing weight and dropping dress and pants sizes faster than they could buy new clothes. So watch the video at ilikehowilook.com, and maybe soon you'll be saying, I like how I look. What if I told you that you could reverse diabetes and stop taking your diabetes medication? If you or someone you care about has diabetes or prediabetes, there's a special free video you need to watch. You may have heard about this. It's all over the Internet. Diabetic99.com People who have followed this plan at Diabetic99.com have not only normalized their blood sugar but have stopped taking their diabetes meds completely with their doctor's approval. Diabetic99.com is a natural, drug-free approach to reversing diabetes with remarkable results in as little as four weeks. Diabetic99.com will save you from being a slave to doctor-prescribed drugs. It's easy. Diabetic99.com gives you three specific actions to get your blood sugar under control. And the best part is the main ingredient and solution is a common spice found in most kitchens. Watch the free video for yourself at Diabetic99.com. Watch for free at Diabetic99.com. Get back the quality of your life and free yourself from diabetes medication. Go to Diabetic99.com. Chuck Morse speaks. Thank you very much. We're joined by Dr. Adrian Goldsworthy. He is the author of Augustus, First Emperor of Rome. We're discussing the reign of Augustus of Rome and... Uh, how that reign parallels politics today. Uh, Adrian, you talk about how it is that uh, Augustus, as a strong executive, was able to um, to get laws passed that were permanent. Um, he did so with the consent of the Senate, which was sort of um, independent, but yet somewhat of a rubber stamp, namely because of the, you know, in the face of his extraordinary power, given his backing by the army, which was the power of Rome. Um, in our system today, we have a similar system in that the president is supposed to go to Congress 
according to the Constitution, to get laws passed. He cannot do anything by fiat except if it pertains directly to the executive branch. And yet we have a president who is issuing laws by decree, in a sense acting like one of the later Roman emperors, simply by signing a page or by uh, putting out an executive order or a some other, they give it various names, he is creating laws. Uh, we also have a phenomenon in this country where people, rather than go to the president or to Congress, you've got agencies, unelected bureaucracies that are making laws. You know, we have, a, a, for example, in this country, we have a, this, the EPA, the Environmental Protection. In 1972, Congress passed a law of the Clean Water Act giving them authority to regulate over navigable waterways, which means, you know, river, you know, big rivers like the Mississippi or big harbors. Now they've decided to take out the word navigable so that they can regulate a puddle in someone's backyard. They didn't do this without any – they did it without any congressional approval or presidential involvement. So we've been seeing a shift of authority in this country from Congress to a president – and from the federal government to unelected bureaucracies who are basically operating, operating like sovereigns. Uh, would that all be parallel to the phenomena of Rome at the time of Augustus? There is a, a problem in that people but complain when those who can influence the emperor indirectly begin to get given various rights and then exercise them. Um, there were limits, though. I mean, it varied on where you were. The emperor could be more arbitrary in his power in the provinces um, than he could in Italy itself. But it, it is a later development. It's part of this increasing centralization you get as the empire develops. And it's really after the likes of Hadrian and Marcus Aurelius and the, the great period of stability and strength and prosperity. It, it's, it goes alongside the decline, and it's probably a significant cause of the decline, but it's, it gets worse and worse. And there is a tendency once you create any of these agencies and give them powers that they try and acquire more and more power steadily because they're always there. And of course, the difference is right. that whilst the institution of um, the emperor or president is is there, the individuals change. But any of these groups that are there that have been given this power, essentially, there's this continuity of purpose. They know what they want, and they know how they want to do things. And there is a tendency for them to grow steadily. And this is what happens. And it does weaken the capacity of the Roman Empire to use its resources effectively at all by the 4th century. It's still very big. It's very prosperous. It doesn't face a rival that's anything like the same size. And, you know, economically, politically, militarily, it's far more sophisticated. But it can't get things done. It can't use its resources effectively because everyone has become concerned with their own little corner, their own little set of power, um, their own privileges, their own rights. And these end up conflicting with each other so that you end up with different agencies trying to do the same thing, but none of them actually having the authority to run the thing in its entirety. So it becomes less and less effective. And I think it is a, is a tendency of any form of bureaucracy, particularly once you give it any executive power to do things, then it will keep using those and it will keep on adding to those as long as possible, unless it is very tightly controlled. It sounds exactly like what's going on in this country. Uh, the other element of Augustus, and I don't, I don't know if this happened during his reign, but it certainly developed as uh, in, in successive emperors, 
is that Rome really showed itself. I think it always was, but it showed itself as a police state. In other words, it's a military state that can abolish rights under any any time under the guise of an emergency. I mean, the example, again, I would give would be Judea. After the death of Herod, the province became so unwieldy with rebellion and and dissension and um, and sedition that the Romans just abolished the government and they replaced it with procreators like Pontius Pilate, who basically was not a sovereign, but he was simply a Roman uh, executive. He was a, a direct, he answered directly to the emperor in Rome, and he was a, uh, a you know, a mini dictator. And uh, so, you know, the Romans could do this under the guise of an emergency, which they felt was doing in Judea, probably right from Okay, we're going to take one more break, then we'll see the end of the Awful. And now you're thinking about dragging yourself to see a doctor. You're in the waiting room filled with people who look sicker than you, or worse, waiting endlessly in the emergency room. That's the way the system works, right? Wrong. Now there's a better way. Imagine having a doctor on call 24-7 that can help find out what's going on, and even call in a prescription to your local pharmacy right over the phone, all at a fraction of the cost. I'm talking no deductibles, no extra costs, no appointments, and no germ-filled waiting rooms. Just top-notch medical doctors, 24-7. Call now to be accepted 100% guaranteed. But you must call now to register for free and get your health pass absolutely risk-free for 14 days. Just call 800-375-0299. It's easy and affordable and registration is free. Call now to get 24-7 coverage starting today. But hurry, free registration will not last forever. Call 800-375-0299. That's 800-375-0299. 800-375-0299. You have a mortgage and a load of other debt. Wouldn't it be great if it all just went away? Nine-year mortgage can change your life. We paid off all of our bills. All your debt, including your mortgage, in as little as nine years? We will have saved over $313,000 in interest payments. Even have more money left over each month? It lowered our monthly payments by a little over $500. Nine-year mortgage. (laughs) Where have they been all of our life? If you knew about something like that, you'd want to tell everybody. Whenever I have a friend or someone that needs this service, I give them the number. Hi, I'm Larry Ruff, president of Nine Year Mortgage. This is unlike anything you've ever seen before, and it will absolutely not harm your credit. Call for your free CD and learn how you can eliminate all of your debt, including your mortgage, much sooner than you ever dreamed possible. The more debt you have, the more we can help. Call for your free CD now, 800-383-5310. This works. Call the number. Call now for your free CD, 800-383-5310. Chuck Morse speaks. Thank you very much. My guest is Dr. Adrian Goldsworthy. The book is Augustus, First Emperor of Rome, uh, published by Yale University Press, available in all major bookstores and at Amazon.com. Adrian, you know, in a sense, in the broad sense, it has been argued, and I understand the argument, that the Roman Empire never really did fall. You know, it might have fallen in that Alaric sacked the city of Rome, but it continued in the form of the pontiff, which is the oldest held office, I think, continuously in human history. It um, it goes back to the Roman kingdom, and today it is occupied by Pope Francis I. Uh, 
and also that the United States is Rome. If you go to Washington, D.C., it's Rome. I mean, you look at the buildings, you look at the structure, the government, the Senate. It's a, it's a continuation of this tradition. And it's a, uh, certainly in the, in the political sense, it, it's a continuation. What do you think? Well, I mean, it's been a very fashionable idea to talk about the sort of the Roman Empire not falling, but it transforms into the early medieval world and traditions are kept on by the church. It ignores the fact that for the vast majority of people in all of Western Europe, North Africa, their standard of living, their security, their prosperity dropped really dramatically. And, you know, the end of Rome was a traumatic thing. And it happened because of internal decline and repeated civil war emperors um, bickering for power, murdering each other, fighting, wasting the strength of the army. But you've only got to look at an archaeological site. And in the Roman period, you find more goods than you do for the best part of a thousand years before or afterwards. You know, people had more basic possessions. It, it gives you a good indication of prosperity. They have um, they're eating food and they're using pottery from hundreds, perhaps even thousands of miles away, instead of just having everything locally produced very basic. You know, they had tiled roofs in the past under the Romans. Now they're back in thatch. They don't have glass in the windows. So it really is a bit of a nonsense. It, it's the fashionable academic thought that doesn't want to talk down the Dark Ages, as they used to be called, now the early medieval period, because we don't want to offend anybody. But um, when you think, yes, the church preserves literacy, but suddenly from the majority of the population probably being more or less literate, it goes down to a tiny minority who can still read and write. If you think that of the literature that existed in the Greek and Roman period, we have far, far less than 1% of it surviving. And most of that has gone because nobody thought it was worthwhile preserving in the later centuries. No one was there to copy it out. That was the only way you could reproduce text before the printing press. So it is a very dramatic thing. The, the decline and fall of Rome was a, a, a very obvious fact to the people who lived through this. But it did happen quite slowly. Now, obviously, I think because Rome was such a great empire in terms of its sheer size, and it lasted so long, that it's a natural thing for everyone to compare the great power of the modern world with Rome. And if we were having this conversation 100, 150 years ago, we'd probably be talking about the British Empire as the new Rome and Pax Britannica rather than Pax mm -hmm. Romana. Um, we'd be wondering, sure. as, you know, authors like Kipling and others did, when it would fall. Um, nowadays, people mm. tend to talk about America. And as you say, you've only got to walk around Washington. You've only got to look at the Capitol. You've got to look at the symbol of the eagle, no less. Um, very consciously, they... Um, Roman models were taken to create the new republic and the new United States. Um, but they also tried to learn from that. I mean, these were, were people from the Enlightenment, so they did try and think, well, how can we actually improve upon what happened to the Romans? We don't want to have an Augustus. We certainly don't want to have a Caligula or a Nero or anything like that. Um, and when you think of the self-restraint of someone like Washington of deciding to retire and not continue his political career when... I'm pretty sure, as you know, yeah. as long as he wanted to stand for president, he would have got elected. Um, someone yeah. like that. It's, so, so it's definitely. So I think America. There are some similarities. It is the great power, but there's also a lot of differences. And the Roman lesson is that decline isn't necessarily inevitable. The Romans lasted a very long time. So to forecast everything's yeah. the same and everything's going to go that way very quickly. Uh, you know, Adrian, I want to thank you for joining me this afternoon. We'll do it again some other time. Thank you very much, sir.
Adrian Dodsworth is my guest, Augustus. Thank you for having me back. A Truth Talk defender, Chuck Morse is someone you really do want to know. Chuck hosts the radio talk show Chuck Moore Speaks, which is nationally syndicated. He's the author of books and numerous columns that have been published broadly. Chuck received the 2003 Communicator of the Year Award and was named a heavy 100 radio talk host by Talkers Magazine. When Chuck Moore Speaks, people listen. For taking possession of this tiny holy land so that the, the Jew can serve God, not conquer the world. To hear Chuck live, go to irnusaradio.com. To hear Chuck with Deborah Ray on Truth Talk Beyond the Soundbite, visit the on demand page at deborahray.us. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. George Bush and Barack Obama have been in Washington trying to legislate an economy. I've been all over America working to improve the economy one family at a time with the three-step plan home business system. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby. Thousands of enterprising Americans have changed their own financial futures by starting a business from their kitchen table. Most began part-time using their personal computers, telephones, and a belief in the American dream to carve out a stable business in a stormy business climate. They are housewives, truck drivers, downsized executives, health professionals, and even a lawyer or two. You could earn extra money or even replace your job. Technology advances have made this simpler and more efficient. So don't wait another 10 years. Check out the 3-Step Plan. Go to 3stepusa.com. That's 3stepusa.com or call 800-480-2102. 800 480 2102 Taking back America one listener at a time. Chuck Morse speaks. Thank you very much, and again, I want to thank Dr. Adrian Goldsworthy for joining me in the first segment here. He's the author of Augustus, the uh, Emperor of Rome, uh, comparing the uh, the reign of Augustus, who was uh, the first emperor of Rome, to politics today. We have upcoming on the program in the second hour, Rob McCoy. He's a former candidate for state assembly in California. He's a minister with the Pastor of God Cavalry Chapel and Jeremy Carl, who is a fellow at the Hoover Institution. We're going to be discussing uh, Ted Cruz versus Rand Paul uh, as uh, potential presidential candidates. 
uh, who they are, what they represent, whether or not they uh, are um, reflective of the uh, of the Republican Party and of conservatives in America. These are going to be some very interesting years as we uh, move toward the um, the general election of 2016, and there will be a change of government at that time one way or the other, because Barack Obama won't be running again. Uh, and uh, I, I'm, I, for one, want to see a strong, vigorous, broad Republican debate. I don't like the idea of having anyone anointed. I certainly don't. Uh, am, am not a fan of Jeb Bush. I like Mitt Romney, but I'm not necessarily um, seeking, uh, you know, a fan of his... Um, his, uh, you know, being coronated for office. And I have some problems with Mitt Romney also. Um, you know, he's good, but uh, he's not, um, he may not be the decisive, uh, you know, leader that, that, that we want to have in the White House, quite frankly. Um, he's been around already twice. Um, and uh, But he's running. I mean, Mitt is out there, and he's uh, he's going for it. And uh, maybe he'll knock out Jeb Bush. I really don't want to see Jeb Bush uh, in there, in my opinion. Um, you know, Rand Paul, um, I think that Rand Paul might not quite be up to it yet in that, um, you know, his um, his ideological libertarianism is not necessarily something that reflects um, not only conservative values, but also the broader American culture right now. Ted Cruz, I love Ted Cruz. All right, we'll be right back. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Chuck Morse speaks. Thank you very much. So we've got a good, solid political debate coming up between a uh, someone that's a spokesman for Senator Ted Cruz of Texas and um, a spokesman for Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky as we uh, watch the uh, the election unfold. Uh, we're also observing Congress in place um, and uh, beginning to develop legislation that Barack Obama will have to veto, probably will veto, which sets the stage for 
issues that will be emerging as the election continues. Uh, he's going to use, I don't know if his rhetoric that, you know, he's uh, doing the right thing by doing things like vetoing the XL pipeline project or vetoing an attempt to stop his immigration executive order, which uh, gives 5 million people legal status. I'm not sure that's going to fly with the uh, with the voter. I'm not sure that's going to fly with Democrats who are seeking office in two years, uh, whether it be the presidency or the, or the uh, Congress or, for that matter, even state office, because I'm not sure that those issues are going to be popular for him. He's going to be put in a position where he's going to have to um, either veto legislation that is popular and that uh, it has been demonstrated that the American people are not buying right now the agitprop from the left, which supports these things, or he's going to have to sign it, in which case he will have moved to the center as president, and in my opinion, he should be applauded. He could have finally do something right. So I think that in both cases, given the timing of the situation, we as a people are in a good position to at least get some assurance that our government is representing us. I'm disappointed with, obviously, Boehner uh, for passing that Cromnibus uh, bill during a lame duck period. Um, that's worrisome. But at least we can look forward to good conservatives taking office. These are people who are not uh, wallflowers. I mean, they know how to speak out, and they, they're, they're intelligent and, and well-connected to policy. Here in Massachusetts, thank God we got rid of that empty-suit governor, Deval Patrick. He's gone off to his, his warm climate vacation and his $30 million summer house in, um, in the western part of our state. And uh, Charlie Baker, on the other hand, is proving to be already a solid uh, administrator. He has inherited a disaster. The governor, you know, the liberal governor, left the state a complete mess with a huge budget deficit. And uh, I don't want a little interesting sidebar on that, just to see how the left works. Already, the Boston Globe is picking on on Charlie Baker because they found a little mistake that he made in in his inaugural speech. Instead of saying something happened on Tuesday, it happened on Wednesday. Instead of it being 1 o'clock, it was 3 o'clock. So you see, he's a liar, they tell us. He's on, he can't be trusted. This is classic leftism. You know, this is, I dealt with this on the air with my co-host, Dr. Patrick O'Heffernan, formerly, and with left-wing guests, and I've dealt with it with leftists all of my public career, that they'll pick on a little, you know, wait a minute, you said that it happened on March 2nd, but it actually happened on March 3rd. You're lying. You know, they'll, they'll find some tiny, minute, irrelevant mistake, and they'll, they'll, they'll claim, they'll hold this up, they'll run it up the flagpole. Never mind the fact that Deval Patrick under his uh, welfare agency, children were dying all over the place, and, and he covered it up and lied 
and he left in place this administration there that was completely malfeasant. Never mind the fact that he spent over a billion dollars on a uh, on a uh, a website to help com- make the state compliant with Obamacare, and it doesn't work, or that he's left the state hundreds of millions of dollars in debt. Never mind, he lied about that. Those are not even mentioned by the Globe. I mean, those are real lies. That's not some phony little, you know, error where, where somebody forgot that somebody did something, you know, oh, no, no, they, they, they did it on Tuesday, not Wednesday. But that's what Charlie Baker should, should expect from the left-wing globe. They are not his friends. They're out to get him. They will do everything they can to destroy him, even, even though they endorsed him. And that's what we all can expect when we don't goose-step or genuflect to the left. We'll be right back. While Bill Clinton, George Bush, and Barack Obama have been in Washington trying to legislate an economy, I've been all over America working to improve the economy one family at a time with the three-step plan home business system. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby. Thousands of enterprising Americans have changed their own financial futures by starting a business from their kitchen table. Most began part-time using their personal computers, telephones, and a belief in the American dream to carve out a stable business business in a stormy business climate. They are housewives, truck drivers, downsized executives, health professionals, and even a lawyer or two. You could earn extra money or even replace your job. Technology advances have made this simpler and more efficient. So don't wait another 10 years. Check out the three-step plan. Go to 3stepusa.com. That's 3stepusa.com or call 800-480-2102. 800-480-2102. Chuck Morse speaks. Thanks so much. So, again, we've got Rob McCoy coming up. Um, he is a, a former candidate uh, for State Assembly in California. And Jeremy Carl, he is a fellow at the Hoover Institute. And we'll be discussing uh, the upcoming uh, presidential campaigns, presumptively, of Senators Ted Cruz of Texas versus Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky. Um, these are advocates of each of those men who represent various opinions, contrasting opinions, perhaps, um, in that Rand Paul assumedly is similar to his father's Congressman Ron Paul of, of Texas, in that he is a libertarian who... Uh, has a view of America's limited role in the world and uh, kind of influenced by Ayn Rand's ideas. And I admire Ayn Rand to an extent. I'm not, you know, I mean, certainly I read those books. Um, of, uh, you know, the government just is there to serve as a, a policeman and as an insurance of contracts and with an army and nothing much else. And uh, And Senator Ted Cruz who's a brilliant guy, by the way, and who is uh, a genuine conservative uh, in that he believes that, you know, in conservative values, he wants government to be more in a... I think they both agree on subsidiarity in that they want local government and regional and state governments to take their proper role in our society with regard to the regulation of of social issues. 
um, but that he openly and and unabashedly advocates for conservative issues. I think that Rand Paul does also, but we'll get more on that with my guests coming up. By the way, check out my books. They're available at Amazon or Amazon Kindle. Just put my name in the server, Chuck Morse, M-O-R-S-E, Morse Code, and like Morse Code, and you will see 11 ebooks come up, three soft covers. So uh, just check that out at Amazon or Amazon Kindle. And, of course, the blog site is Chuck Morse Speaks. So we have um, these guests coming up in hour number two. You're listening to the USA Radio Networks. Please stay tuned. Lloyd Wilson, who after years of struggling with being overweight, has had his jaws wired shut to force him to eat less. Floyd, how's it going? <laughs> it looks like that's uncomfortable. <laughs> Certainly I can see how that could help you lose weight, Floyd, but isn't it a bit extreme? <laughs> you could have just ordered the 10 2 and a chew weight loss system from ilikehowilook.com website, and all you would have had to do to lose weight is take a small capsule at 10 a.m., one at 2 p.m., they will curb your appetite and help you burn more calories. Then any time you felt a need for a snack, just eat one of their great-tasting collagen protein candy chews. Uh-huh. You can learn all about it on ilikehowilook.com. They'll even send you free samples. Floyd, what are you doing with those wire cutters? Shouldn't you let a doctor do that? Uh-huh. Go to ilikehowilook.com and check out the world's easiest weight loss system. Ask for free samples. That's ilikehowilook.com. 9%. That is how much more fat you could burn if you were using the 10-2-in-a-chew weight loss system from ilikehowilook.com. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby. A double-blind controlled clinical study showed that the 10-2-in-a-chew weight loss system burned 589% more fat than exercise and dieting alone. Think how much easier it'll be to lose weight. Go to ilikehowilook.com and read the study for yourself. You swallow a small capsule at 10, another at 2, and eat a tasty collagen protein candy chew anytime you need a snack. And with that, you could burn 589% more fat. Watch the video at ilikehowilook.com to get the full story. Most people notice a curbed appetite and more energy the very first day. It's safe, all natural, there's a money-back guarantee, and they'll even send you free samples. Go to ilikehowilook.com, ilikehowilook.com. A Boston conservative in the cradle of liberty. You'll want to listen when Chuck Moore speaks on the Information Radio Network. Thank you very much. Hour number two of Chuck Moore Speaks here at the USA Radio Network. Monday through Friday, 10 to noon, Eastern Standard Time. As I emanate out of Boston... You're welcome to join the program, 844-439-1391, 844-439-1391. We're expecting uh, two guests today, that being Rob McCoy. He's a former candidate for state assembly in California. He's a pastor of God at the Calvary Chapel 
and also Jeremy Carl. He's a fellow at the Hoover Institution. We're discussing issues that will arise in the coming presidential election as they're represented by Senators Ted Cruz of Texas and Rand Paul of Kentucky, assuming that they are running. And it appears that both of them are in, I believe, the exploratory stage. They've set up exploratory committees, uh, which means that uh, they can raise money but not formally announce yet. Um, we've got, uh, who is on the line? Is Rob McCoy there? Uh, Rob, are you there? Hello, Rob. Speak up. Okay. Uh, we may, uh, we're having a little confusion here. Um, we also are joined by uh, Jeremy Carl. Jeremy, are you there? Speak uh, up. I'm here, but I, can you uh, hear me? Yes, I can. Thank you for joining me, sir. Uh, Jeremy Carl is with the uh, Hoover Institution. Um, it's a think tank in uh, in Stanford, Connecticut. He's received the BA with distinction from Yale University. He holds an MPA from the Kennedy School of Government right here in my own hometown of Boston at Harvard in Cambridge, and uh, doctoral work at Stanford. Um, Jeremy, um, you um, we're talking here about what the uh, two senators represent, that being Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. Can you talk a little bit about um, what Rand Paul appears to represent, putting aside what he actually represents? Sure. Uh, well, I think what he, uh, where the, the sort of target point for him is, A, a sort of combination of a, a more libertarian wing of the GOP that in some ways is, is represented by his father, although I think he's definitely a much more mainstream figure than his father was. Mm -hmm. And then to also, to some degree, a kind of a, a modernizing force within the party is where he's trying to position himself without kind of moderating. And that's a kind of difficult tightrope to walk. But he's kind of gone out and talked to a number of different groups and areas, whether that be uh, kind of making trips out to California or speaking in a lot of historically black colleges or other sorts of constituencies that uh, have not necessarily always gotten as much attention from the GOP, and so he sort of tried to to reach out in that way and see if he can sort of fuse those two things together with enough establishment support to win the nomination. You know, I noticed that uh, Ron Paul, during the last election, got an enormous outpouring of support from very young people, from, from first-time voters. Um, I don't know if, I would imagine that Rand is tapping into that same constituency, but as you say, he's trying to broaden things. Would you describe him as a socially as a social conservative? I would describe him as a social conservative. I mean, I think particularly on on issues like life, he is is definitely very conservative. Um, I think on some other cultural issues, uh, the war on drugs, he's going to be, I think, a little more liberal. Um, but I think he's certainly not looking to to rock the boat in terms of social issues within the party nor I think is he going to kind of have the more doctrinaire, libertarian uh, stances on some of these issues that his father had. I mean, his father was actually a quite uh, conservative uh, churchgoer in Texas who kind of had a very, very straight-laced personal life, but would often kind of, because he had such libertarian tendencies, seem to countenance a bunch of, of sort of more crazy things involving drug legalization and other things that I, I don't think you'll see out of a Rand Paul campaign. Now, one of the things that Ron Paul came under heavy criticism for 
was his views on foreign policy and that he was described as an old-fashioned isolationist. He was had no problem with the mullahs in Iran as long as they didn't threaten the United States, kind of a, an idea that uh, foreign policy stops at the water's edge. Now, uh, you know, I think that most Americans do not want to see us involved in perpetual overs- wars overseas, but nevertheless, I'm not sure that most Americans are willing to pull the drawbridge up that tightly. Where does uh, Rand Paul fall generally on those issues, and does he contrast with his father on that? I, I think this is an area where he's really tried to draw a pretty bright line, because I think where there was a lot of space between where often some of the more establishment candidates were on foreign policy and where Ron Paul was, there was a lot of unoccupied space, I think, in terms of where that base actually was. Um, which was maybe not quite as aggressive as a lot of our candidates. Um, I think they also weren't in necessarily, in most cases, where Ron Paul was. And so where Rand has tried to position himself is as much more of a kind of uh, traditional Reagan foreign policy of, of certainly protecting our interests um, very, uh, very assertively, but yet not kind of looking to uh, get involved in undeclared wars and things of that nature. He's also specifically in a couple of speeches referenced George Kennan. And if you look at some of his advisors, I think he is, is kind of looking from a political science perspective at more of the, the type of classic realist model of foreign policy as opposed to some of the more neoconservative policies that we might see out of Marco Rubio or, or even a Mitt Romney, who was uh, certainly more aggressive on the foreign policy front. That's interesting. So, I mean, the George Keenan, of course, was the uh, the author of the famous containment policy that actually turned out to be pretty effective and that Reagan used very well in terms of helping to dissolve the old Soviet Union, you know, tightening the screws on them financially, uh, surrounding them with, uh, you know, stating who we are and contrasting that with who they are. Um, you know, but not engaging in hot wars. And uh, th- th- Reagan was able to pull down the Soviet Union, not single-handedly, but uh, with allies, without firing a shot. So I think that's pretty interesting. Okay, I want to welcome aboard Rob McCoy. He's a former candidate for state assembly in California, pastor of God, speaker at the Calvary Chapel. Rob, thanks for joining me. Hello, Rob. Okay, we are, uh, we're having a couple of minor technical problems here. Um, Andre Traverser, are you there? I am. Can you hear me? I can. We don't have Rob on the line, however. I know. I don't understand um, why. I can, I can try to get him on during the break. We'll work on that. Andre okay. Traverser is, uh, is my partner at EpiQuest Media. We, do, uh, we get people booked on radio programs around the country. Andre, I want you to take on the cudgels of talking about Senator Ted Cruz, what okay. does he stand for? Who is he, and uh, and what would we expect from a Cruz presidency? Well, first of all, let me let me say that, um, and I, Jeremy, I, I, I want to see how you feel about this too, and maybe you can get your get your comments on this. I think Ted Cruz. I, I, the thing about Rand Paul that is interesting to me is Rand Paul and his desire to broaden the GOP coalition. Uh, I think the problem with that is he's – I have no problem with broadening the coalition, but I think the part of the problem is he's alienating people that would otherwise be viable – be part of a viable GOP coalition. For example, uh, recently uh, 
Rand Paul uh, skipped a, a, a meeting of Christian conservatives in Iowa to go out and hang out with Alec Baldwin. Uh, you know, and, and I think, you know, and this is where I think Ted Cruz is interesting. Ted Cruz, I think, is not only a social conservative, he's also a fiscal conservative and actually has voted with Rand Paul on some libertarian issues. I think that Ted Cruz actually has the potential to really unite uh, the conservative coalition in a way that Rand Paul does not. Uh, I, Rand Paul, in his desire to reach out, is doing things that I think are sort of pandering. Like he'll, you know, he's, he's talking about restoring voting rights to felons, or uh, you know, he's also talked to, uh, to Grover Norquist about uh, you know uh, supporting amnesty, you know, or, or comprehensive immigration reform. So I think there, are, I, I think that in, in Rand Paul is trying to please too many people, whereas I think that Ted Cruz is um, trying to form a, a more of a traditional coalition, but I think it's one that's still effective. It would be, I guess you could call it the Reagan Coalition, fiscal conservatives, social conservatives, and now uh, and national security conservatives, but also now Tea Party activists and people who are a little more liber- libertarian-minded. What I think is interesting is that uh, Ted, Poo's, Ted Cruz supported um, uh, NSA reform, uh, whereas Rand Paul voted against it because apparently it would reauthorize the Patriot Act. So there are some interesting differences between the two. Jeremy, what would you say about my point that um, do you think that Ted Cruz is trying to create, to build a, a traditional coalition and what do you think is the difference between the coalition he's trying to build and the coalition that Rand Paul's trying to build? Well, I think your, your comments are interesting, and I should back off just in the name of, of full disclosure and say that I, I have kind of warm relations with both camps. I've, I've, uh, I've met Rand and, and spoken with him on, on many occasions. Uh, I've also met uh, Ted Cruz on a couple of occasions, don't know him as well, but, but have, uh, have developed some very good relations with, with his staff and, and close, those close to him. And I think that both on a net basis, are, are definitely big assets for the party. They do bring different things. Uh, I do take your point well that uh, in some of Rand's uh, kind of uh, attempting to grow the, the tent, he's done some things that I think are very good, and then he's done some things like meeting with Al Sharpton that I am less pleased with. Uh-huh. Um, and, and you kind of alluded to a couple others, certainly uh, to the extent that he would get on an amnesty bandwagon. That would be something that conservatives are not going to be enthusiastic about it. I don't think he'll go there, but he's certainly not going to, has not been as kind of stalwart in the anti-amnesty uh, crowd as, as uh, Senator Cruz has. Um, I do think Senator Cruz has um, some interesting uh, potential ways that he does unify a lot of the coalition. He has definitely shown conservatives that he is willing to go out and uh, take the flack because he's over the target, as uh, Sarah Palin might say, uh, on a lot of different issues. I think his big challenge is, um, A, whether that's a big enough coalition at the end of the day, not just to win a primary, but to win a general election. And I'm not saying that it's not. I'm just saying I think that that's his challenge. And I think his other challenge is Rand is a person whom, for whatever sort of deviations he's done uh, from uh, from kind of GOP ideology uh, as it's been traditionally done, um, he has very warm relations as a whole within the caucus, and I've talked to a number of other senators about both both of those, and, and you know, I think folks are, are generally very supportive of Rand. Um, Ted Cruz has definitely uh, kind of made more enemies now. Um, that's not necessarily a slam on Ted Cruz, because if you make enemies because you're fighting the good fight, um, then running against Washington and making those enemies isn't uh, necessarily such a bad thing. I think the question is kind of open as to whether he's made both necessary and unnecessary enemies, or is he just making the necessary enemies that any conservative would have to make in order to really carry the banner forward in, in 2016 for the conservative coalition? 
Um, so, in other words, it's a lot of this is uh, sort of a uh, a horse race type of situation where one has to find a, um, I don't know, like a, a middle ground to, to become a national candidate. And uh, and the trick uh, with regard to Rand Paul is to maintain his uh, adherence to cons- to both, I guess, conservative and libertarian values, libertarian in terms of policy, conservative in terms of who he is and what he represents on the bully pulpit, and yet at the same time appealing to the the center of the Republican Party, which is going to be falling behind either uh, Mitt Romney or Jeb Bush. I hope not Jeb Bush, anyway. But we're going to take a break right now. We'll be right back. That is how much more fat you could burn if you were using the 10 2 and a chew weight loss system from ilikehowilook.com. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby. A double blind controlled clinical study showed that the 10 2 and a chew weight loss system burned 589% more fat than exercise and dieting alone. Think how much easier it'll be to lose weight. Go to ilikehowilook.com and read the study for yourself. You swallow a small capsule at 10, another at 2, and eat a tasty collagen protein candy chew anytime you need a snack. And with that, you could burn 589% more fat. Watch the video at ilikehowilook.com to get the full story. Most people notice a curbed appetite and more energy the very first day. It's safe, all natural, there's a money-back guarantee, and they'll even send you free samples. Go to ilikehowilook.com. ilikehowilook.com. While Bill Clinton, George Bush, and Barack Obama have been in Washington trying to legislate an economy, I've been all over America working to improve the economy one family at a time with the three-step plan home business system. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby. Thousands of enterprising Americans have changed their own financial futures by starting a business from their kitchen table. Most began part-time using their personal computers, telephones, and a belief in the American dream to carve out a stable business in a stormy business climate. They are housewives, truck drivers, downsized executives, health professionals, and even a lawyer or two. You could earn extra money or even replace your job. Technology advances have made this simpler and more efficient. So don't wait another 10 years. Check out the three-step plan. Go to 3stepusa.com. That's 3stepusa.com or call 800-480-2102. 800-480-2102. You're sick. You feel awful. And now you're thinking about dragging yourself to see a doctor. You're in the waiting room filled with people who look sicker than you or worse, waiting endlessly in the emergency room. That's the way the system works, right? Wrong. Now there's a better way. Imagine having a doctor on call 24-7 that can help find out what's going on and even call in a prescription to your local pharmacy right over the phone, all at a fraction of the cost. I'm talking no deductibles, no extra costs, no appointments, and no germ-filled waiting rooms. Just top-notch medical doctors 24-7. Call now to be accepted 100% guaranteed. But you must call now to register for free and get your health pass absolutely risk-free for 14 days. Just call 800 370 It's easy and affordable, and registration is free. Call now to get 24-7 coverage starting today. But hurry, free registration will not last forever. Call 800-375-0299. That's 800-375-0299. 800-375-0299. What if I told you that you could reverse diabetes and stop taking your diabetes medication? 
If you or someone you care about has diabetes or prediabetes, there's a special free video you need to watch. You may have heard about this. It's all over the Internet. Diabetic99.com People who have followed this plan at Diabetic99.com have not only normalized their blood sugar, but have stopped taking their diabetes meds completely with their doctor's approval. Diabetic99.com is a natural, drug-free approach to reversing diabetes with remarkable results in as little as four weeks. Diabetic99.com will save you from being a slave to doctor-prescribed drugs. It's easy. Diabetic99.com gives you three specific actions to get your blood sugar under control. And the best part is the main ingredient and solution is a common spice found in most kitchens. Watch the free video for yourself at Diabetic99.com. Watch for free at Diabetic99.com. Get back the quality of your life and free yourself from diabetes medication. Go to Diabetic99.com. You'll want to listen when Chuck Moore speaks on the Information Radio Network. Thank you very much, Ted Cruz versus Rand Paul. We are now joined by Rob McCoy. He's a former candidate for state assembly in uh, New- in uh, California. He's a senior pastor at, God- at uh, Godspeed Cavalry Chapel, Thousand Oaks, which also owns and operates Little Oaks School. Um, and he is an advocate of what he calls bean patch politics. Rob, thanks for joining me. Oh, my pleasure. Thanks for having me. It's an honor. Sure. G- give me a quick uh, thumbnail on bean patch politics. Bean patch politics. Uh, being a minister, uh, one of my favorite characters in the Bible is a guy named David, uh, King David, and he had uh, all of his mighty men, and uh, they're listed in Second Samuel. And the third one is a guy named Shema, and he defended a lentil field or a bean field from the Philistines all by himself. And I was getting tired of losing national elections with everything I voted for and state elections. So we decided to draw a line around our county and say, this is our bean patch. And we want to affect every, you know, assembly rate or excuse me, every city council race, every school board race, every supervisory seat. And we take ownership of our county and uh, it's just basically grassroots politics. Interesting. I mean, this is, also, of course, in the great American tradition of subsidiarity, where the strongest government is is that which is most local, like the local school board or the local city council, where people live, you know, where, where you have your son or daughter at the school, you know, so you run for school board because uh, you have a direct interest in it, and you're accountable because people know you, you're, you've got neighbors. So the old American tradition is that that is the most important and most powerful level of government because it's the one that has the most direct effect on people. And then as you go up the scale towards state and eventually federal, it's less powerful because uh, the, the broader national questions, you know, have less to do with the actual day-to-day life of people. I mean, those are things like whether we're getting a foreign invasion or, or right. whatnot. And, uh, and so you're basically saying that, uh, and I think quite accurately and quite brilliantly that by taking the levers of local government, we can assert our sovereignty on the national level. I mean, another example of that are local sheriffs uh, yeah. refusing to uh, adhere to state and federal gun control regulation because it doesn't reflect the values of their own local community. Uh, well, for, Rob, for, what for us, make you – yeah, go ahead. I was just going to say for – no, 
for our community, uh, you know, if you if you look at what they call the evangelical community, there's 85 million plus or minus, maybe 65 to 85 million. And they say it's the largest minority in America, but only 25% of them vote. And so I kind of looked at that as how do we how do we fix that? And we need to get people engaged in the process. And I love what Russell Kirk said. Politicians are actors performing a script written by the audience. And I wanted to teach our folks that you need to write the script. And you write the script not by complaining, but by walking precincts and making phone calls and hosting coffees and contributing campaigns and running candidates. And so we're building a culture of engagement. Oh, that's fantastic. And Russell Kirk, of course, is one of the great conservative thinkers of the 1950s. And, uh, you know, what you're doing is exactly where we should be, how you take back the country. It's not even a matter of, of reaching people locally, your, your, your friends, your family, your colleagues. But it's using media that is free, like, like yep. the Internet. I mean, setting up a Facebook page for your local town committee, setting up, you know, a Twitter account. And also local cable television is one of these secret great, you know, entities. It's, it's, uh, you can have a local cable TV show and be on television every week interviewing people and talking about issues you care about. And before you know it, people in your community are going to recognize you. You're going to become known. These are ways that we can regain a great deal of influence under the radar screen because it's out of the reach of this sort of nationalized big you know, media uh, type. Now, uh, um, Rob, what, what do you make of the uh, of the candidacies nationally of um, Senator Rand Paul of Kentucky and uh, Senator Ted Cruz of Texas? Do, do you see a contrast there? I mean, do they resonate with your uh, your sensibilities at all? They do. Um, I've, I've had the privilege of uh, getting to know uh, Senator Paul. Um, I, I was a teaching pastor on a trip to Israel and with he and his wife, Kelly, and their two younger boys. And then his oldest son, William, spent the summer with us. And um, Rand's spoken at our church a couple of times. So, But I haven't had the privilege to meet uh, Senator Cruz, uh, but I have met his father, Raphael. And um, I've listened to both of them read extensively the things that they stand for. Uh, I'm impressed with both of their intellects. Um and kind of the triangulation for Rand Paul, where he's got this the the, the assets of his father, but he's uh, he's, he's got to come up with a, a new uh, foreign policy in some regards to appeal to the uh, Republican Party. And Ted Cruz is just a stalwart conservative, so I, I love him both. Yeah, the contrast. We'll be right back. We got to take a brief break. We'll be right back heard of the KISS system, K-I-S-S. Keep it super simple. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? This is Andy Willoughby presenting the simple three-step plan home business system. I really think that the main reason the three-step plan has been able to help so many people build a business working from home is because of its simplicity. If you have a telephone, internet access, and some good old stick you can make more money working from home 
For information, go to 3-STEP-USA or call 800-480-2102. Our turnkey system will give you everything you need to be successful. Many 3-STEP plan members are now in the top 2% of income earners in the nation, and they did it working from home. If you want a better financial future and think you might appreciate the freedom of working from home, we invite you to check out the 3-STEP plan. Go to 3-STEP-USA or call 800 800- 480 589%. 589%? That is how much more fat you could burn if you were using the 10 2 and a chew weight loss system from ilikehowilook.com. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby. A double blind controlled clinical study showed that the 10 2 and a chew weight loss system burned 589% more fat than exercise and dieting alone. Think how much easier it'll be to lose weight. Go to ilikehowilook.com and read the study for yourself. You swallow a small capsule at 10, another at 2, and eat a tasty collagen protein candy chew anytime you need a snack. And with that, you could burn 589% more fat. Watch the video at ilikehowilook.com to get the full story. Most people notice a curbed appetite and more energy the very first day. It's safe, all natural, there's a money-back guarantee, and they'll even send you free samples. Go to ilikehowilook.com. ilikehowilook.com. Author, journalist, and American patriot, this is Chuck Morse Speaks. Thanks so much, and uh, we're back. Rob McCoy, you were talking about uh, the contrast between Ted Cruz and Rand Paul on foreign policy uh, questions. Uh, as mentioned, you know, you've met Ron Paul, you've, you've known him. Uh, so please continue. Very interesting. Oh, sure. Um, so I, I had the privilege to meet uh, uh, Rand, and, and while we were in Israel, um, I, I got a chance firsthand to see kind of his foreign policy approach. Uh, and as he was meeting with some higher delegates within the Israeli government, uh, his comment was, um, you know, a nation in debt like ours shouldn't be doing, uh, you know, giving foreign aid. But he said we need to uh, stop the foreign aid starting with the countries that are burning our flag, not those who are in support of us. And he got, uh, you know, a round of applause, certainly from uh, those that were present from the Israeli government. And he, he listens and he engages. And uh, he's soft-spoken. He can put out a, a pretty solid speech, and he's he's got a great heart, and he's um, he's engaged in the process. In contrast with uh, Ted Cruz, I've I've never met him personally. I've met his father, but as a debater, I've I've never seen anyone better. Uh, the brilliance of that man is is epic, and uh, his grasp of yeah. conservative principles is solid. Uh, I look forward to having the privilege to meet him. But um, I, I can say that Rand Paul's my friend. Um, and he supported me in my right. campaign. No, I get it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And yeah, I'd Cruz, say that uh, Ted Cruz was a uh, student in Harvard of uh, Alan Dershowitz, who's a, who's liberal and who's a very well nationally known um, attorney. And he said that Cruz was his the best student he ever had uh, in terms of his brilliance, even if he didn't agree with him on a lot of issues. Uh, Jeremy, what say you with regard to the? Uh, this contrast um, between the two on, um, on I would say, the social issues domestically. I know we got into that, but I think that it's a good idea to draw those contrasts clearly. Uh, yeah, I would, I would agree. And, and, and I'd add, in, I mean, Ted Cruz is unfortunately, is, is, I should say, fortunately, a, a 
wonderful uh, debater as well. And frankly, the only unfortunate thing is that we have these two very, really quite quite qualified folks emerging on the national stage at the same time competing for some, some similar audiences where we not, haven't necessarily had that credible voice uh, defending those positions in some of our previous races. Uh, I'd say on social issues, um, especially if you judge a little bit from his father, who uh, the pastor alluded to, uh, Ted is a little bit more of a, uh, I think, maybe a down-the-line conservative in terms of, of both what he's willing to legislate and his own personal beliefs on some of those issues. Um, the question then just becomes uh, whether he is going to be able to sell that sort of position uh, effectively in a general election. And again, he's a very uh, incredibly gifted speaker and debater. I think he's incredibly good at articulating conservative positions, and I think he's got a, a chance to do that. But I think it's it's a harder it's a harder pull than a sort of more. I think Rand is always trying to find a. Um, <clears throat> A position that gets you the sort of 51 percent, and uh, and and I think while doing that, while while still hewing to a, a conservative principle, and I think that'll be a challenge for Ted Cruz. I mean, he's going to take a lot of flack, uh, both from within and outside the party, if and when he uh, decides to run, and as he puts out his uh, positions, and he's going to have, I think, a little bit less uh, room for error than uh, than Rand will. Mm-hmm. Andre, what say you? Well, I actually like to ask you, Jeremy, about something. One of the things that I like about um, – it's interesting. I, I agree with Ron, both Ron Paul and his father on one aspect of foreign policy, which is the reluctance to get involved militarily around the world. And I agree with Rand Paul that his approach to foreign aid is a good one. Let's stop foreign aid, but let's do it incrementally by getting at our enemies first, the ones that, you know. Uh, but where I disagree with both Rand and his father um, – on foreign policy, it's, 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 it's an area that a lot of people don't want to talk about, or haven't discussed, and that is the idea that trade and diplomacy will solve all our problems. A good example is Cuba. I, I call I call Ron Paul's foreign policy on trade and, and his son's lesson. Well, you have to take a break. I call it take a terrorist to Starbucks. We'll be right back. We'll be back. A Truth Talk defender, Chuck Morse, is someone you really do want to know. Chuck hosts the radio talk show, Chuck Morse Speaks, which is nationally syndicated. He's the author of books and numerous columns that have been published broadly. Chuck received the 2003 Communicator of the Year Award and was named a heavy 100 radio talk host by Talkers Magazine. When Chuck Morse speaks, people listen. The taking possession of this tiny holy land so that the, the Jew can serve God, not conquer the world. To hear Chuck live, go to irnusaradio.com. To hear Chuck with Deborah Ray on Truth Talk Beyond the Soundbite, visit the on demand page at deborahray.us. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. 
Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. People are more likely to get a pay cut than a cost of living raise. But I have good news for you. You can build your own golden parachute. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby, and I think you'll find that the three-step plan home business system is a great solution to money worries. With a three-step plan home business, you can add to your income in your spare time. Many build their businesses into a full-time income that earns more than a regular job. That's a pretty good financial backup plan, don't you think? After all these years of hearing about us, you know that we have helped a lot of people earn extra money. We could help you, too. The three-step plan home business system is better than a parachute because we'll never leave you out there hanging. We'll train you and show you how to use the telephone and email to make money from home. Don't just worry about money. Do something about it. To find out how you could start making more money working from home, go to 3stepusa.com or call 800-480-2102. Chuck Morse speaks. Thank you very much. Andre, please continue. Okay. Oh, I was talking about the contrast here between um, Rand Paul's foreign policy, uh, Rand, both Rand Paul and his father's foreign policy, and that of Ted Cruz. As I said in, or in the, before the break, what I really like about, what I like about Ron Paul and his son, Rand, is I like their reluctance to get involved in um, around the world militarily in every foreign adventure. I also agree with him on foreign aid, and I agree with Rand Paul's incremental approach to foreign aid, that we would you know, gradually stop foreign aid, starting with those who oppose us and burn our flags and all that. I think that's all great. Where I disagree with both Ron and his son um, on foreign policy is it seems to me that they have this, this naive belief that free trade is going to solve all our problems. If we just trade with everybody, everything's going to be wonderful. Uh, we can negotiate with anybody. I, I call it take a terrorist to Starbucks. And I look at the contrast between uh, Ron, Ron and Rand Paul's foreign policy on something like Cuba and Ted Cruz, who's taking a firm position on Cuba and saying, no, we're not going to trade with them until they, uh, you know, until they, you know, have some, until they give us some concessions, until they, you know, do human rights reform, until they actually, uh, you know, actually have laws in place that protect contracts and private property and things like that. Uh, Jeremy, what would you say about the, those differences? I mean, I, to me, I think Ted Cruz is great because to me, he's like Reagan. He's he understands the moral dimensions of foreign policy that we shouldn't trade with dictators and things like that. But then he also he also doesn't want to get involved militarily in every adventure either. Yeah, I think uh, I think certainly I think your your categorization of and characterization of uh, Ron Paul's foreign policy uh, is an accurate one, um, and you know at times was I think a frustrating one to, to sometimes listen to in debates. I'm not sure that that necessarily is is where Rand is. I think Rand. Obviously, used to that position to some degree. To I think the degree that he um, uh, he does place a greater emphasis on the ability of trade and exchange um, to, uh, to to kind of do things that are useful for the U.S. Um, I don't think he sees that as a, as a panacea, end all or be all. Um, uh, 
I think he understands the problem of, of evil and the fact that, that we, we do have folks out there who kind of essentially have uh, viewpoints that are profoundly threatening to us that we can't just make go away through trade and exchange. I think he'll need to do a better job of articulating that over time and, and kind of how to contrast with uh, other uh, Okay, we'll be right back. Most of us have pondered about the one universal question. Is there a God? And if there is, is there any absolute proof? It is for that exact reason why my good friend Sam Sorbo and I, Marius Forte, have written our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven. In essence, the answers in our book are surprisingly simple as they're true. Just as light will eliminate darkness, so does the law, which in Greek is called cosmos, eliminate the possibility of chance. Therefore, chance had no part in the creation of the law of this cosmos. And so the only other possibility is that the law was created by a creator that we call God. The answer, Proof of God in Heaven, is probably one of the most powerful books that truly proves the existence of God via His universal laws, and with it that of an eternal soul and everlasting life. Please find our book, The Answer, Proof of God in Heaven, now on Amazon.com or at our website, theanswer-book.com. Chuck Morse speaks. Thanks so much. My takeaway from this is that um, Ted Cruz and Rand Paul are both excellent candidates for the presidency. They would both either would make an excellent president of the United States. Um, but I'm concerned about the Jeb Bushes and even Mitt yeah. Romney, who I like, but nevertheless is an establishment-type candidate. Uh, what do you think? How do you think this is going to unfold in the next couple of years? Already the liberal media has anointed Jeb Bush as the nominee just so they could probably tear him down, but that's beside the point. Do you think that these uh, either of these men have an opportunity to take the Republican Party back? I mean, they certainly reflect this last midterm election victory, but yet we saw how that victory was partially undone by the uh, the liberal establishment under John Boehner. Uh, I want to start uh, with you, Jeremy. Yeah, well, I think it's, it's going to be interesting. I think clearly there's a, a Bush uh, bandwagon that's built to a degree and that the media is certainly pushing that. Uh, I think he's going to have to do a lot of things to uh, to reassure conservatives over time, and I think he will will probably not be the first choice of a lot of activists, to say the least. Um, Mitt Romney is also in there, and it's actually interesting because I think in many ways what's going to be uh, it's going to be an advantage for both Ted Cruz and Rand Paul to the extent that Mitt Romney does jump into this race because he will then split a lot of the establishment uh, money and attention that would otherwise just go to Bush, and I think it opens up um, some more viability on some of the more grassroots-focused candidates, such as uh, Ted Cruz and Rand Paul. So I think it'll be interesting to see uh, how that plays out. Yep, I I agree with that analysis. I mean, that's kind of a horse race look at the thing, but yes. Uh, Rob, what say you? Well, I apologize. I can't hear Jeremy, uh, but I, it, so if I duplicate anything he said, please forgive me. Um, I would say in relation to uh, Bush and Romney, this is, this is the first time in quite a while that we're going to see moderates 
have to battle it out and bloody themselves a little bit. Typically, you have uh, the, the the conservatives uh, having to battle it out while uh, there's there's a nominated moderate that comes forward. And by the time we get into the, the end of the primary, uh, the, the conservative is very bloodied. This is going to be an exciting race because you're going to see ideas rise to the surface in relation to, to Cruz and Paul. I'm excited about it. I like both of these guys, just like you, yeah. you, you were pointing out. I, I think they're spectacular. Um, and I moderate through. I, I see some. Mm-hmm. Okay, and uh, Andre, why don't you weigh in on this question as well? Yeah, I think, I actually agree with Rob. And by the way, Rob, you were breaking up on us there for a minute. I don't know what happened there, but uh, I agree okay. completely with Rob. I, I, I cannot wait to see the moderate vote split. I hope that Romney and Bush both run. Uh, I think that would be great. And I also, I also think, frankly, this is just my opinion, but I believe that Ted Cruz can really can, – can, can make the nomination. I think he, he, with all, especially the more people in the race, I think more and more he will coalesce around Cruz. And I think that you'll see, yeah. I, I think people like Ben Carson and Huckabee. In fact, one of the things that I was going to say earlier, one of the things I like about Ted Cruz is he unites fiscal and social conservatives, whereas uh, Huckabee and uh, Santorum, uh, they get social conservatives, but they are not uh, as good on fiscal issues. They've been accused of being uh, very liberal on spending. Uh, and I think that, uh, and so I, I think that, that Cruz uh, is able to do that. And I think that, uh, I mean, I would be happy with Rand Paul. I just happen to, to uh, support Cruz right now. But, um, but anyway, I, I, like the, I agree with uh, Rob that you're going to see uh, a split in the moderate coalition. And I think, I think that will be better for conservatives. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, I, th- I think that this split in the, um, in the moderates really is going to help us conservatives drive a truck right through the wreckage. I mean, we'll we'll have to see, but uh, I mean, of the two moderates, I mean, I definitely prefer Mitt Romney. I like Romney, even though I, you know, he may not be as conservative as uh, as we like, but uh, either Cruz or Paul would be a great candidate. You know, people might say, well, they're they're too young and inexperienced. Well, hello, what about Barack Obama? He was he was fixing parking tickets in two thousand and three, and all of a sudden he was thrust in. So, you know, that that argument, I think, has been run somewhat irrelevant, although that will not stop liberals from uh, from making it. Who do you think is going to be the the uh, Democrat nominee? Will it be Hillary or will it be that witch from Massachusetts, uh, Warren? Well, this is Jeremy Carl. Gentlemen? Jeremy, go ahead. Yeah. I, I mean, I think it's. At this point, it's just Hillary looks like an inevitability. Um, I'm not scared by that. I'm actually delighted by that. I think she's a much weaker candidate than uh, people people think she is. I think if she'd been a good candidate, frankly, yeah. she would have beaten Obama with all of her institutional advantages she had in 2008. Uh, I think when you saw her on her book tour talking about how she was bankrupt, uh, oh, right. Oh, that was really quite. That was a good yeah. one. All right, we'll be right back. While Bill Clinton, George Bush, and Barack Obama have been in Washington trying to legislate an economy, 
I've been all over America working to improve the economy one family at a time with the three-step plan home business system. Hi, how in the world are you anyway? I'm Andy Willoughby. Thousands of enterprising Americans have changed their own financial futures by starting a business from their kitchen table. Most began part-time using their personal computers, telephones, and a belief in the American dream to carve out a stable business in a stormy business climate. They are housewives, truck drivers, downsized executives, health professionals, and even a lawyer or two. You could earn extra money or even replace your job. Technology advances have made this simpler and more efficient. So don't wait another 10 years. Check out the 3-Step Plan. Go to 3stepusa.com. That's 3stepusa.com or call 800-480-2102. 800-480-2102. Taking back America one listener at a time. Chuck Morse speaks. Thank you very much, gentlemen. We only have a few minutes left here, so I'd like you to take the opportunity to let people know how they can find out more about you and read articles by you and more information. Uh, Rob, starting with you, Rob McCoy. For some reason, Rob, you're breaking up on me. Um We'll have to go back to you and see if we can improve the phone line. Uh, Jeremy Carr, where can people get information about you and your articles? Yeah, well, I'm at the Hoover Institution at Stanford University, at, uh, and you can go there and, and see what I'm writing about. I also write a lot, uh, in addition to U.S. politics, about uh, about energy. Uh, and uh, mm-hmm. so you can always uh, either get in touch with me there or uh, read my work there. Excellent. Thanks so much. Uh, Rob, can uh, you try now. Let's see if you can come in. Can you hear me all right? Is that better? Yes. There we go. Yeah, very good. Thanks. Well, first of all, go ahead. Mm-hmm. Find us at calvarychapel.us. Thank you. Excellent. Bye. We're just having some technical problems, but it's calvarychapel.com. Is that right? .us. 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 Okay. And, of course, Andre... Uh, Talk about uh, EpicQuest a bit. Sure. Uh, EpicQuest, we get uh, people on all kinds of nationally syndicated and local and regional radio programs. If you're interested in becoming a guest on other shows like our show uh, or others uh, that are even bigger, uh, you can get, uh, get, get a hold of us at EpicQuest Media. Um, you can uh, either give me a buzz. My phone number is 773-774-1583. At seven seven three seven seven four one five eight three, we'll be happy to get you started. Uh, you know, on, on again, we specialize in radio, but we do book on television, and print, and online media as well. All right, Andre Traversa, thanks for joining me. Rob McCoy, thanks so much. Uh, Calvary Chapel, Jeremy Carl from the a fellow at the Hoover Institution, gentlemen, thanks for joining me this afternoon. And Thank of course, I shall return, God willing, tomorrow. You bet at the usual time. 10 a.m. Eastern Standard Time. Check out my books available at Amazon or Amazon Kindle. Just put my name in the server, Chuck Morse, M-O-R-S-E, like Morse code, and up they come. You're listening to the USA Radio Networks. Have a good day, everybody.
awful. And now you're thinking about dragging yourself to see a doctor. You're in the waiting room filled with people who look sicker than you or worse, waiting endlessly in the emergency room. That's the way the system works, right? Wrong. Now there's a better way. Imagine having a doctor on call 24-7 that can help find out what's going on and even call in a prescription to your local pharmacy right over the phone, all at a fraction of the cost. I'm talking no deductibles, no extra costs, no appointments, and no germ-filled waiting rooms. Just top-notch medical doctors 24-7. Call now to be accepted 100% guaranteed. But you must call now to register for free and get your health pass absolutely risk-free for 14 days. Just call 800 375 It's easy and affordable, and registration is free. Call now to get 24-7 coverage starting today. But hurry, free registration will not last forever. Call 800-375-0299. That's 800-375-0299. 800-375-0299.